Hallelujah for the cross. Love has won, death has lost. What a glorious thought that is, that death no longer holds its sway over us. We have been victorious, not because of what we did, but because of what Christ accomplished on the cross of Calvary. Love has won. And when we're talking about love, we're talking about the love of God. Not a sensual kind of man-centered love, but it is a God-centered, God-ordained love that has won and has brought us into a right relationship with our Savior Jesus Christ and our Heavenly Father. Hallelujah! for the cross. We celebrate it. I remember a friend of mine used to tell me, nobody sings about a, no other religion, no other group sings about a torture device like the cross. Well, we do. We do. Because we know that it was God's plan to send Jesus to the cross in eternity past so that we might be redeemed. So yes, we say, hallelujah for the cross. What a great reminder to sing on this communion day. I want to i uh, let you know that today will be the wrapping up of our se- summer series in the Psalms, okay? Um, and even though we're not actually looking at a psalm today, we're going to be looking at a man who penned many of those psalms that we have looked at over the, over the last uh, several weeks and months. Um, of course, you know who that person is. It's King David. And, and I think the reason we so readily identify with the psalms is because we can re- identify with this man, David. David was a man who struggled in life, right? David, although he is said to be a man after God's own heart, and that in and of itself brings us hope and comfort, doesn't it? Uh, because if David, who was the sinner he was, okay, David is, is not one of those men that we look at in Scripture and say, boy, look at the life he lived. He lived such a holy, sinless life. That's not the case, and yet the Bible still says, God still says he was a man after God's own heart. Boy, am I thankful for that, because I know that I am a sinner, and, and I know that I still battle. Even though the Holy Spirit lives within me, I still struggle with sin. I hope that doesn't surprise you. I mean, I'm not, I'm not flaunting it, like, hey, look at me, I'm a sinner, but, but by God's grace, I am able to be in ministry and service for him in spite of my sinfulness. But you know what? I'm a sinner saved by grace. And David, although we can't necessarily put him in the same camp that we're in because he is Old Testament, we are church, okay? But we experience the same grace and love and forgiveness that God gave to him. Now, if God can say about David, he's a man after my own heart, That can be said about us as well. As long as we are pursuing our relationship with God, as long as we know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior who makes us into this right relationship with God, then we too can be a man, a person after God's own heart. And that's who David was. And we have and we do identify with him. And that's why when we look into the pages of the Psalms, we can say, hey, that's me. That's where I am. I I see myself right there. And thank God for this uh, opportunity to identify with this man. David, you'll look at the title on your note page and it says, what to do when bad things happen. 
David was a man who knew about bad things. He knew about trials. He knew about difficulties in life. He, he knew what it meant to face hardship. And he, he learned that early on in life, whether it was when he was taking care of his sheep, his father's sheep, if you will, and the bear and the lion and those other ravenous animals came in to have lunch or supper from his flock. They didn't have an abundance of sheep, so every sheep counted in David's house, okay? And sometimes he had to face that difficulty. The shepherd boy knew what it meant to face struggles in life. We see that he didn't run away from adversity. He didn't run away from trials. I love the account when he's talking to Saul and he said, when the bear and the lion came after the sheep, I grabbed it by the beard and I slew it. That's not the, that's not the cowardly way of somebody who's not walking with the Lord. That's a man who, who even as a boy understood, I'm no match for this lion. I'm no match for a bear. But if God is in me and God is working in my life, I don't have to fear him. I don't have to fear that. He will deliver me. And so the next really big adversity we find in David's life is when he confronted a rather large man named Goliath. This guy was over nine feet tall and, and he meets Goliath uh, when he takes uh, some food to his brothers and some gifts to the commanders, and he hears this big guy come out shooting off his mouth, mocking the armies of Israel. Those, those armies who had trusted the Lord, who had served the Lord, who had been used by God to fend off enemies, and yet along out comes this one man, and he starts belittling the armies of Israel. And David might not have done anything had it stopped there. But it didn't stop there. This uh, heathen goes on to mock the one true God, the God of Israel. And he belittles David's God. And he says, oh, ho, ho, hold on now. Who is this uncircumcised dog that thinks he can mock the God of Israel? Where's the man who's going to stand up to this giant? I remember David's a teenager. He's a young guy. Where is the man who will stand up for God? There wasn't one. They were cowering in fear. Even, even Saul, who was head and shoulders above all the rest, would not go out and fight against Goliath. And so David said, if nobody else is going to do it, I'll do it. What's the king going to do for the person who defeats this man anyway? Not that that was his motive. But then David says, well, somebody's got to do it, so let's get it done. And word gets to King Saul. There's, there's a person who will willingly go fight Goliath. Well, bring him here. So he comes and he looks at David and he says, you're just a kid. You're but a youth. You can't do this. And he said, no, 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 no. God can do it through me. And we find here in this account with David and Goliath that David's confidence was not in himself, was not in his ability. It wasn't because he was in the fields all day long practicing with his slingshot. Listen to his comment here. David says, Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. 
His confidence was in God. His assurity was in the one true God. So as we get started this morning, I want you to get you thinking in a particular direction. You and I here at Calvary Baptist Church and in like churches around the country and around the world, we believe that the Bible is not only our source of authority, but it is our source of hope and comfort in the midst of difficulties and trials. Do you agree with that? The Bible is our authority, but it's also our comfort and our hope. And when we are facing difficult times in our lives, we, we should go to the word of God. That should be our first place to go. I'm not saying that you can't talk to other people. In fact, you should, but you should be seeking God's direction from the pages of his word first. Because that way, when you go to somebody else and if they give you bad advice, you know, I don't, I don't need to listen to that person because they're telling me something contradictory to the word of God. I need to stick here with the word of God and I need to find people who will counsel me in that direction. You and I, we need the word of God as our lifeblood. It's, our, it's what keeps us going. It's our food, if you will. Remember Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Where do we find the will of God? Right here. He's not going to tell you in, in a dream or a vision. He's going to tell you here, right here in the pages of Scripture. Last week, we sent out several prayer requests as Hurricane, Hurricane Ian was making landfall, first in Florida and then in the Carolinas. Many of us have friends and loved ones down in those areas, and we were praying for them as this difficult time rolled ashore. But why, God? I don't know why, God. I can't answer that question for you. God may never answer that question for you. There are lots of times in our lives when tragedies come, and the first thing we say is, why, God? I'm not sure that's the right thing to say first. I think, first of all, we go to God and we say, thank you, God, for your promise of provision and protection. And for the child of God, if Ian takes your life from you, where do you go? Someplace a lot better. I mean, I know people that live in Florida and Myrtle Beach, they think that it's almost heaven. But it's not. Heaven is so much better. I mean, I, believe me, I know what it means to live on a beach. We live five blocks from the beach in South Africa. We didn't go there very often. <laughs> but you know what? Heaven is far better than any paradise you've ever found here on earth. And so when, when we face these trials, these devastations that come our way, no matter what it is, we have the opportunity to thank God for his work in our lives. Mass shootings, we see them far too often in our world. And again, my response is, boy, thank God that it wasn't more. Thank God, because it, it could have been worse. And you know what? I think sometimes... God is using those trials, those difficulties to knock on the door of our heart and say, hey, don't forget me. Don't forget I want to be the solution to your problems. I want to be the one who brings you through the most darkest times in your life. Many times people are left wondering how God could let such tragedies happen. This is so awful, God. How can you let this happen? And as we send out requests for our church family members that are facing problems, whatever they might be, 
We know the importance of prayer. And we want to be known as people of prayer. We want to be known as those who take our problems to the Lord and leave them there. Songwriter captured it well, didn't he? When he said, take your burdens to the Lord and leave it there. Leave it there. When we trust and never doubt, he will surely bring us out. Take your burdens to the Lord and leave it there. Our text this morning deals with how to handle life when bad things happen. I believe that God leaves the difficult portions of scripture in place in the Bible, in the lives of those who trusted him, showing us how to deal with difficult situations. David, it's revealed to us one of the deepest, darkest, most stressful, most difficult times in David's life is the passage of scripture we're going to look at this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 30, if, you're not, if you've not turned there yet, take your copy of the scriptures and open that to that passage with me. 1 Samuel chapter 30. David faces a tragedy in this text. It's, it's, it's a most difficult time in his life. A tragedy that could have resulted in him losing his faithful followers, you know, those mighty men of David. It could have also resulted in him losing his life. We're going to see as this tragedy unfolds that David has to decide what he's going to do, whether he's going to let the circumstance, the situation he finds himself in control his life, or whether he's going to respond in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. So let's, let me tell you a little bit about this story here of David. Remember when we use that word story in relation to Bible things, it's not really like a story that we tell our kids. It is truth. It happened. It's reality. David and his men had been told to leave the Philistine army. Remember they had been traveling with the Philistine army and then some of the army advisors went to the king of the Philistines and said, hey, I, you know, we don't really know we can trust this guy, David. And for good reason, because David would go out and kill Philistines when they thought he was killing Israelites. But, you know, David had to have a way to survive. So he was camping out with the Philistines in protection from King Saul. Okay? So these men began to catch on. We don't know this guy, David. We don't trust him. Send him away. Get rid of him. He's not good for us as as an army, as a military uh, brigade. We don't want him around our men. So they were forced out to leave the Philistines, and they left leaving their only source of income. They were mercenaries, okay? That's what they were doing. They were fighting for the Philistine army. They were being paid, but they, they were kicked out. They lost their jobs, okay, so that's, that's, that's the first difficult step for them. Uh, you know what it's like when you lose your job, right? Sometimes we tend to trust in our job more than we trust in our God, okay? And, and David said, okay, if that's what God wants, then that's fine. And so they, you know what they did? They started going back home. They went back to Ziklag. That was their home. It was a three-day journey. They arrived at Ziklag, and they found a terrible situation there in Ziklag, a traveling band of Amalekites. Now, that name, that group of people may ring a bell for you. We'll deal with that in a little bit. But this traveling band of Amalekites had attacked Ziklag and taken captive David's followers, David's wife and the, wife of, the wives of his followers and their children. Can you imagine that? Getting back home and those that you love the most in this world are gone and presumed dead or taken as slaves. Because they, believe me, they didn't take these women and children to do good things with them. Okay? The, Philist- the Amalekites were not that, those kinds of people. And you say, well, why should I remember the Amalekites anyway? Well, they were the ones who, when Israelite was passing through to get to the promised land, 
They attacked the stragglers. They attacked the backside of those men and women from Israel who were traveling up through to the promised land. And they were the ones that Saul was supposed to wipe out, utterly destroy. Okay? And, and when Samuel gets there, Saul has not utterly destroyed everything. There's sheep and there's cattle. And he had even uh, kept alive the king of the people of, of Amalekite, the Amalekites. And so when Samuel gets there, he confronts them. He says, you have not obeyed. And he says, what do you mean I haven't obeyed? We did what you wanted us to do. And then Samuel says, the funny thing is, I hear this lowing of cattle and this noise of sheep in the background. When did you start bringing cattle and sheep to the battlefield? Oh, well, 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 okay. You know, those people that, you, that I'm supposed to lead, they chose to keep the spoil. They chose to take some of the best so they could sacrifice. And this is a key thing. They could sacrifice to the Lord your God. Not the Lord our God or the Lord my God, the Lord your God. Okay? So Samuel or Saul was not where he should have been in his relationship with the Lord. And he blamed it on the people of Israel. Last I knew, the man who was the commander of the army, the chief, he called the shots. Okay? If he said wipe them out, the men of Israel would have wiped them out. But he didn't. And then he passed the buck. He didn't take responsibility. And, and, and then he says, and why do you have the king alive? Bring him here now. So he brought the king, and Samuel put the king to death. You see, Saul failed to do what God told him to do. And it wasn't that God was looking for a fight. It was God bringing about restitution to the people of Amalekite, or Amalekite who should have been destroyed anyway. So these people are left alive, and they're the ones who have taken David's family and the family of his followers. They've taken them into captivity. You see, God tells us to do things, and when we don't do them, when we fail to do them, we often end up with long-term problems. Long-term situations that, boy, if we would have obeyed in the first place, we would have been so much better off. There's a big story of that when Abraham didn't do what he was supposed to do and trust the Lord to bring about a child through his wife, Sarah. (laughs) You know, history tells us what happened there and all that's going on as a result of that disobedience. Wow. See, there's an importance to obedience. And when when Samuel confronted Saul, he told God, Saul, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to listen to the command of God is better than the fat of rams, the most most desired part of the sacrifice. God doesn't want your sacrifice. He wants your obedience. He wants you to obey him. So anyway, the people of David and his followers, they realized what had happened. They wept, get this, they wept until they had no tears left to weep with. They were brokenhearted. They were just spent. David is, and, and, and David realized, wow, they were in great despair. People of the army, David's army, talked of stoning him, putting him to death, because after all, it must have been his fault. He was the leader. It was his decision to leave the women and the children behind and to go and fight for the Philistines. David must be at fault here. He must pay. There was no comfort. There was no hope to be found in his men. So what did David do? David turned to his God. That is where he found his hope and his comfort. He asked for the priests to come. 
And he wanted an ephod so he could inquire of God, so he could ask God what his next move should be. God answered David's prayer and opened the door for David to be successful in following his lead, the leadership of God. The end result was that David found the roaming band of the Amalekites. David executed judgment on them. David rescued the women and the children that had been taken captive from Ziklag, and he brought their belongings back, and he took the belongings of the Amalekites as spoil, and they went back to Ziklag, prospering under the direction and leadership, not of David, but of God. So when David faced this most difficult time in his life, what did he do? He turned to God. You know, oftentimes people, when they find themselves in these difficult spots, they turn away from God. They blame it on God. God, it's your fault. It's not God's fault. God is at work in our lives. That's that's just a little summary of what happens leading up to 1 Samuel chapter 30. We want to see here, as we look at this passage of Scripture, how David handled the terrible, difficult situation in his life. First of all, we see in verses 1 through 6, a discovery that led to despair. Would you stand together with me? We're going to read verses 1 through 6. We're not going to read the whole chapter of 1 Samuel chapter 30. We're just going to read verses 1 through 6. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 1 through 6. It's on the screen. Would you read together with me? Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there. From small to great, they did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoham, the Jezreelites, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters, But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. You notice the difference there between David and Saul? Saul said, your God. The Bible says David strengthened himself in his God. Let's ask God to bless our time together in the word today. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And and we understand that sometimes difficult things come into our lives. Difficult seasons uh, are placed upon us in our, in our life that we live. And we know, Father, that those seasons are not meant to consume us, not meant to destroy us, but rather those seasons are meant to draw us to you, to help us find our hope, our comfort, our strength in you. Father, you do nothing in our lives to drive us away from you. You only do things that draw us closer to you. So as we examine our text this morning, we ask that you would help us to be like David and to find our hope and our comfort and our strength in you, to be obedient to you as we see David was here in the pages of Scripture. Father, we thank you for your love for us because we know that your love always causes you to do what is right for us. 
and always draws us close to you if we allow you to, to do that in our lives. Thank you, Father, for who you are. Thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. And thank you most of all for demonstrating your greatest love to us through your son, Jesus Christ, when he came to die on the cross for our sins. Bless our time, we pray in the scriptures. Help us to learn from it today as we worship you in our listening together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, you may be, dis- you may be seated. So as we look at this text this morning, in the first six verses of the text, we see a discovery that led to despair. Now, as I said, many times we find ourselves in situations that lead us to despair. Being in despair is not necessarily a wrong thing. It's not a sinful thing to be in despair. But our response to that despair determines the outcome of the situation, or at least it determines how we handle the situation, okay? Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here, and it's a very short limb. I don't think any of us have ever experienced the despair of David here in this passage of Scripture. We've lost loved ones. We've lost family members. But this is David's family. It's all of his followers' family. Everything they had, they had no possessions left. Only what they had on their body, on their person, did they have. Everything else was gone. Maybe there's some folks in in Florida or in the Carolinas or on that eastern coast that are facing a similar thing. Don't know what we're going to do. Don't know where we're going to go. Don't know what to do next. That's where David is. He absolutely has no idea what to do next. What brought on this despair? Well, first of all, we looked at the destruction of Ziklag. It says there in the text, they burned it with fire. Now, burning a town or a city with fire showed that there was complete and utter destruction and domination of the conquered area. This was not just, oh, we found this by circumstance. We, we ran across these people by chance. They knew and they were making a statement when they burned Ziklag to the ground. They were saying, David, take that. David, you're getting what you deserve as we burn your town to the ground. It was destroyed. There was nothing left. They didn't have anything to go back to. That's pretty heavy. So that's one of the things that's leading to the despair. And then there's the discovery of their missing family members. To make matters worse, they discovered that all of their family were taken away. They weren't killed, but they were taken away. They took them as captive. Now, when you take somebody as captive, again, it's showing, it's stating your domination. It's saying, hey, we're in control of the situation. We're going to do exactly as we please. Again, sometimes our actions catch up with us. The Israelites were supposed to destroy all the Amalekites. And because they didn't, this event happened in the life of David. So David is now, I've got to figure this out, David. says, I've got, I got to know what to do, and I can't figure it out on my own. They were despondent. David and his men, they had, for a moment, their focus was not where it was supposed to be. Let's be honest. They were, they were assessing the situation. They were looking around, and they were saying, it can't get any worse except if their own lives were gone. And sometimes when we get despondent, we get to a place where we say, ah, it's not worth it. God, just take my own life. I don't, I don't need to go on. I can just die. Be better off dead. 
Some people feel that way. David and his men were in that situation. He, he's on, and, and also, to complicate it, he's still on the run from Saul. He can't go back to Saul and he can say, hey, Saul, look what the Am- Amalekites did to my people, to my followers. And, and Saul would say, so? Too bad they didn't get you too. That's what Saul's response would have been because Saul was out to take his life. David was in a bad spot. Been there? Been in a bad spot? Maybe you're in a bad spot now. Bad spots come. But the good thing is, when we trust in the Lord, bad times go. Because they won't hang around if our walk is close to the Lord. If we're living as we ought to, he gives us the right perspective. He gives us the ability to handle the situation and we move forward with that situation. This spot that David is in in his life, I think we could safely say couldn't get any worse. But there's a, I love when the Bible makes commentary on the Bible. The divine commentary on David and his men was, David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until there was no more strength to weep. If I'm being honest with you, I don't know that I've ever been in a spot where I've been so sorrowful where I've wept and I can't weep anymore. I have nothing left in me to weep anymore. There are times in our lives where we find ourselves discouraged, depressed. Where do we go? Where did David go? Well, remember this. In your deepest, darkest time, remember this. God loves you, and he put these things in the Bible so we know how to react. How we know how to respond. He put them here for our learning and for our encouragement. So let's not, let's not dwell here. Let's not stay where David is. God never intends for us to stay in those discouraged, depressed states. He gives us ways to get out. So David seeks direction from the Lord. We see that in the last part of verse 6. He said, it says, David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. We need to do the same. When we find ourselves in those difficult, discouraging, stressful situations, we need to have our strength inspired by the Lord. And the only way you can have your strength inspired by the Lord is by going to the book. Or... If you've memorized pages of scripture, passages of scripture, you can pull them up into your mind and you can think on those things, you can dwell on those things, you can meditate on those things. We looked at Psalm 1 a couple of weeks ago and it says that the man who meditates in the law of God, who who has it stored away in his mind, who knows it's there and who can pull it up at a moment's notice. David may not have had his scrolls with him. They may have been taken or burned. So what does he do? He remembers the word of God. He's inspired by the strength of the Lord his God. This word strengthened is the interesting word. It means to fasten to, to attach yourself to it. In other words, David hitched his chariot to God because David had no strength to move forward on his own. When we have no strength in and of ourselves, we understand and we realize that the Lord is always our source of strength. Think about this. We don't have to wait till our strength is gone. We can hitch our wagon to the Lord all the time and gain our strength from him and never be without it. David was without strength because he spent his strength weeping. 
But then he says he strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He found his hope. He found his comfort. He found the ability to move forward and go on (coughs) by looking to the Lord his God. We looked at Psalm 121. I will lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And he goes on to say, the Lord will not allow your foot to be moved. He will not, the Lord who keeps Israel doesn't slumber, he doesn't sleep. He is with you. In this moment of great despair, David is called to practice what he preaches. To find his hope in the one true God. You see, David was in the habit of going to him no matter what. He found his hope. He found his strength. In his deepest trial, his darkest day, he found his strength in the Lord his God. So what does David do once he is inspired to move forward by the Lord? He inquired of the Lord. Here's another difference between David and Saul. King Saul did not look to the Lord for direction, for advice, or for counsel. He often took matters into his own hands. Remember when Saul was instructed to wait for Samuel to make offerings to the Lord? Samuel was delayed in getting to Saul. So what does Saul do? Huh, bring me the priestly garments. Let me take care of this. (coughs) He He went into the place where he wasn't supposed to go. He did something he wasn't supposed to do. He made sacrifices to God on his own, and he was supposed to wait for Samuel. And then there's the time when he should have consulted the Lord. And instead of consulting the Lord, what does he do? He consults the witch of Endor. Come on, Saul. Well, you know what? Sometimes we find ourselves in the same situation. And instead of going to the Lord and the the pages of Scripture and studying it out, we turn to something else, someone else. We go looking for other counsel when we first should start with counsel from the Lord in the pages of his scripture. But David here, he calls for the priests. He calls for the ephod. He consults with the Lord. He seeks advice and counsel from the Lord. What God should my next step be? I want you to lead me. I want you to direct me. And then we see the Lord's instruction directed David. You see, David didn't just say, God, what do I do? But David waited. He waited to find out from God what he should do. David cried out to God, and you know what? God heard him. That's no surprise, right? Our great God hears us when we cry out to him. He always hears him. You say, Pastor, I don't know that God always hears me. Yes, he does. Yes, he might not give you what you want the moment you ask for it. In fact, he might not give you what you want at all. Why? Because he knows what you want is not good for you. We've done that as parents, right? I mean, our kids would sit down for breakfast and say, I want a candy bar for breakfast. Nope, can't have it. You don't love me. Chocolate cake sitting on the counter. Maybe you heard that, that funny thing from Bill Cosby. Dad is great. Give us chocolate cake. That whole process in his mind, it's got flour, it's got eggs, it's got milk. It's got to be good for you, right? Now, it's got all that sugar and all that frosting. All that. No, we don't give our kids chocolate cake for breakfast. It's not good for them. They think it's good for them. They want it because it appeals to their fleshly desire. 
But in the long run, if that's all they have for breakfast, by a half an hour from the time they eat the chocolate cake, the sugar's all gone, and they're like, they got nothing to go on for the rest of the day. God doesn't always give us what we want because it's not what's best for us. He always gives us what is best for us because he always knows what is best for us. Look at David's inquiry was specific. He asked the question, should I pursue and will I overtake them? God answered, he says, yes, pursue and you will overtake them and you will get everything back that they took from you. What a great encouragement this had to be to David and his men. He would not have gotten that encouragement though if he didn't talk to the Lord. If he didn't go to the Lord first, if he would have called his men all together and said, men, what do we want to do? Well, the answer would have probably been the same. Let's go get back what is ours. But they would have left the Lord out of the process and, and the Lord would not have blessed. So when you go to God first and you say, God, what do we do? What do I do? Help me have the wisdom. Help me to have the understanding. Help me to know what to do is right. I want to glorify you in this situation. I want you to be honored. Give me wisdom. Give me understanding. David cried out to God for that. We have the privilege of doing the same. In this world, this life, (coughs) excuse me, in which we live, we have the privilege of doing the very same thing, crying out to the sovereign God of creation. He hears us. He answers us. He responds to the needs that we have. Verses 9 through 20 of of chapter 30 of 1 Samuel, we see the Lord's deliverance unfolds before David. You know, we can be confident that God will deliver us, but it's another thing to see that deliverance unfold and to know that it's the hand of God at work in our hearts. You see, If David would have just consulted with his men and talked with his men and they had decided, let's go do this, they wouldn't have seen the hand of the Lord in it. They wouldn't have seen the deliverance that God was going to bring to them. Because he sought out the Lord and they moved forward in the promise of God, David leads his men to pursue the Amalekites. He's operating in faith. When we seek God and we receive instruction from him from the pages of scripture, you and I can then move in faith. What is faith again? Somebody tell me, somebody remind me what faith is. Anybody know? It's been a long time since I asked you what faith means. Okay, that's what the writer of Hebrews tells us faith is. Absolutely. What's the definition we use around here? Mark? Okay. Believing that God is able to do what he says he will do and ordering my life accordingly. Where does God say what he's going to do? In his word. So if we want to live in faith, if we want to move in faith, if we want to act in faith, what is essential for us to have? The word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if I want to live in faith, if I want to be like David here and I want to act in faith, I must be in the pages of scripture. I must be reading the book. I can't expect God to deliver me if I'm not in the pages of scripture. 
Because in the pages of Scripture today, God tells us, reveals to us how to do life. David, in this passage here, verses 9 through 20, we see that the pursuit begins. David and his men, they mount up on their horses and their chariots, and they begin tracking down the enemy. And and not only is it David's enemy, but these people are the enemy of God. And so David is in pursuit of these enemies. And as they journey forward, some of the men are just worn out. And this is important for us to see. Not everybody can go with David. Now, if David is not seeking after the Lord, he might have said to them, I don't care how you feel. Come on, suck it up, guys. We got a job to do. They've got our family. They've got our children. Let's go get them. He would have tried to motivate them to pull themselves up by the bootstraps. But you know what? He says, okay, you guys stay here. You take your rest. Now, you got to understand that that's not the, the work of a military genius. They don't have a very big group of men anyway. So you're going to leave some of them behind? You need them all, the, the, the world wisdom would tell us. You've got to have them. But he leaves them behind. He lets them stay back so they can strengthen themselves. It's okay for you to stay. You're too tired to move on. You're too tired to be an asset. You wait here. And the rest of them went on forward, and they, and they began to pursue in earnest these enemies. Well, we also see here that God prepared a person to help lead David to the enemy. Isn't it amazing how God prepares people in our path when we're following him, when we're doing what he wants us to do? This person probably didn't plan to be there. I mean, after all, he was, he was left by the Amalekites. It was not a coincidence with God because there are no such things as coincidences with God. As they pursue the enemy, they come across this Egyptian who was with the Amalekites, but he became ill. Why do you think he became ill? It was God's hand. It was God's hand. And so they left him. They left him for dead. David comes across him. He gives them some nourishment. Again, not a wise thing to do because they only had a limited amount of stuff, but they gave of their own to this man who was in need, and it refreshed him, it revived him, and it endeared him to them. By the way, do you know where the Amalekites are? Boy, I can tell you where they are. I know exactly where they're going. That was God's working. That was God's deliverance unfolding before them. They could look and they could say, look at what God has done. There was no coincidence in this. God was at work. And had they not sought God, they wouldn't have recognized and seen that this was God at work. They reached an agreement. He gave the information and they went on their pursuit. And then we see God's promise of deliverance is fulfilled. Not only did God provide David with someone that led them right to the enemy, but when they found the enemy, they were in no condition to battle. Look at what the text says. It says they were spread out all over the land. They weren't in a group. They weren't ready to fight. They were spread out. They were eating, they were drinking, and they were dancing. David didn't even have to really do much in this battle to get victory. They were enjoying the spoil that they had taken that did not belong to them. So they're they're easy prey. They're easy picking. David attacked them, and the Bible says, from the evening until the end of the second day, God gave David a great victory. The text, listen to this, the text says, not a man of them escaped except for 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. David accomplished what Saul should have accomplished years earlier. 
He destroyed the Amalekites. And we don't know how big this group of Amalekites were, but it's safe to assume that most of them perished in the battle. As we continue reading the text, we see that God indeed kept his promise. Not only did they get their women and their children back, but they recovered everything that the enemy had stolen from them. The Bible says nothing was missing. Nothing was missing. They brought everything back. Wow. God's hand unfolding before them. God's deliverance being true in their life. So as we finish off our text this morning in verses 21 through 31, we see that David was determined to do the right thing. You see, when we see God's hand at work in our lives, it encourages us to do the right thing. David wanted to do what was right. It's important to note here that David did not get so wrapped up in the victory that he forgot to do what was right. What is the right thing to do for David here? It's to give the Lord honor for this victory. It's for David to realize, God, you brought this about. This is all you and not us. God, your hand was at work in all of us. We've seen it all along the way. So what does he do? How does he do that? Well, he provided for and he honored all of his soldiers. And we say, what's the big deal there? Well, remember that they left half their soldiers behind? David met up with these men that were left behind. And the scripture includes it. It must be important that if scripture includes it. He met up with these men and they shared with them the spoil that they got from defeating the Amalekites. David met their needs. David ministered to their needs. David probably was not the most popular guy when he spread open the spoil and he says, okay guys, take what you need. Because the men who went on and fought for that are probably thinking, what do you, what do you mean? This is ours. That's the way it worked in, in war. The people who got the, the, the spoil, they kept the spoil. David says, no, we're, we're sharing. We're going we're gonna to honor our brothers here who could not go with us. He did what was right before the Lord. He was committed to doing the right thing. He also praised the Lord for his help and protection. David did not take credit for the defeat of the Amalekites, the defeat of the enemy of David and the enemy of God. Instead, he gave credit to his great God. Verse 24, look at this. But David said, you shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. God gave this to us, we should share it with others. And he has preserved us and given into our hand the band that came against us. God did this. God brought this miracle to happen. Think about with me in the New Testament, those 10 lepers that Jesus healed. Remember the group of 10 lepers? Jesus healed them. What does the Bible say about those lepers? Nine of them went on their merry way, being, being glad that they didn't have leprosy anymore, but one of them returned and did what? Thank Jesus. They gave pray, he gave praise to God. He said, God, you brought about the solution of my cleansing. Thank you, God, for that. David stops as he shares with his fellow warriors, and he says, God gave us credit. God gave us the victory. God made this happen. It's not of us. I think, I wonder if sometimes when we see God do this great thing, whatever it needs to be in our lives, do we stop and give him the credit and the glory 
and the honor. I'm thinking maybe sometimes we forget. We get wrapped up in the situation, and once it's gone, it's like, oh, man, so glad that's gone. Wow, thank you, God. You did this. You know, when we have opportunities to give testimonies, we have those chances to give God the glory for what he did. You know, we've, we've finally come through maybe this whole COVID thing. And I love to hear people give testimony of, yes, God, God saved me from that. We had a brother-in-law who almost died because of it. Was in a hospital for how many days? Like 20 days or something like that. Long time he was in a hospital. Didn't know if he would walk again. Didn't know if he would drive his tractor trailer again. He's up and he's about and he's, we've seen him a couple times since he had COVID and he's doing well. And you know what? It's because of God's work in his life. Testify to the goodness of God. Testify to what God did. And then we see, he, first of all, he provided for his men. He praised the Lord. And then he gave presents to the elders of Judah. You see, David shared of the spoil with those who had need, those who had been afflicted by the enemy. He didn't have to do that. But because God had blessed him, he desired to be a blessing to others as well. There's a lesson in that for us. When God blesses us, it's good for us to share our blessings with others. That's how we respond. That's how we don't get to a point where we let the circumstances of life bring us down and destroy us. We minister to the needs of others. And we see God's hand at work in our lives and we say, hey, you know what? God can do the same in yours. Sometimes people say, Pastor, why do you make people give their testimony of salvation before they can become a member of the church? Well, because we want people to see what God has done in your life so they can turn around and realize, hey, if God can do it in their life, he can do it in my life too. We've actually heard testimonies of people who said, wow, you know why I got saved? I got saved because of so-and-so's testimony. My life was very similar to theirs, and, and God did that in their life. If he can do it in their life, I, I, he must be able to do it in my life. When we tell the story of salvation of our life, it's a blessing to others, those who know Jesus as their Savior. It's an encouragement to them, but we never know who's going to be in our services. You could be giving your testimony to those who don't know Jesus as their Savior, and God could use your story to make a story in their life where they would come to know Jesus as their Savior. That's why we do it. Not not because we want to have these wonderful stories of self-preservation, We want to have stories of what God does in the lives of individuals, how he restores, how he reclaims, how he brings people back to a walk with him. That's what David did when he presented to the elders these wonderful gifts of sacrifice. We see David responded to a bad situation in his life. He sets a great example for us. First of all, we must seek the direction from the Lord. We must follow his leading. Lean not on our own understandings, but in all your ways, acknowledge him and what he shall direct our paths. We seek the Lord's direction and the leading that he gives to us, and we understand that God will keep the promises that he made to us. God takes care of the problem one way or another. May not always be the way we want him to take care of it, but he will definitely take care of it. He acted in faith. 
He wanted to do what is right. When we act in faith, we act on the information that we find in the pages of Scripture, we can't go wrong. People say to me, Pastor, that was a good message. You know what I say? I have great source material. If I have great source material, I can't go wrong. As long as I rightly divide the word of truth, if I'm a good workman in my study and my preparation, then I know that God will use that in the lives of others. He acted in faith. He let God take care of the problem. And when all was said and done, David did the right thing. He didn't hear God and say, yeah, I'm not sure you got that one right, God. I think I should do something different. No, he listened to God. He did the right thing. He gave honor. He gave praise. He gave glory to the one who orchestrated the victory. Can I, can I make this statement? If we don't feel that we can give God the glory, then maybe we weren't where we needed to be to get the victory. It's not about us. It's about God and how he remains faithful through the whole situation. The lesson for us is that maybe the way Peter phrased it, we should cast all our cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. That's what David did in this situation. That's what you and I can do no matter what the situation we are. You have friends, you have loved ones down in Florida and they're wondering, what do we do? Cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Oh, that's too easy. No, it's not. It's really not. It's very difficult to give your burden to the Lord and take your hands off and say, God, this is you. You, 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 got, you deal. I, I can't do it, God. It's all you. I'm going to leave it with you and let you take care of it. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And we're thankful that you know the situations that each one of us are in. Uh, Father, as a pastor, I don't know everything that's going on in each person's life. I only know that when people share with me what they're going through, the struggles they may be facing, or the good times that they're enjoying. But Father, you do know every situation. You know where each one of your children are. You know the difficult times some may be facing right now. And I pray, Lord, that as we have Examine this passage of scripture from the life of King David who faced a very dark, desperate, difficult situation. He turned to you. He sought your advice. He sought your counsel. He wanted to be obedient to you. And as you revealed to him what he should do, he stepped out in faith. He did exactly what you would have him to do. And he saw your hand of blessing over and over and over again. Father, we are confident that you are the same God today as you were in the life of David. And when we face our deepest, darkest days, we can turn our troubles over to you and and believe you and trust you to work and lead us through them. Father, we, we thank you for your love and your protection. We thank you for your word. We ask that you would help us to be children who live by the word and seek to honor you first. In Christ's name we pray, amen.